Chapter Twenty Four of Adam Bede. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Adam Bede by George Eliot. Chapter Twenty Four. The Health Drinking. When the dinner was over and the first draughts from the great cask of birthday ale were brought up. Room was made for the broad Mr. Poyser at the side of the table, and two chairs were placed at the head. It had been settled very definitely what Mr. Poyser was to do when the young squire should appear, and for the last five minutes he had been in a state of abstraction, with his eyes fixed on the dark picture opposite, and his hands busy with the loose cash and other articles in his breeches pockets. When the young squire entered with Mr. Irwine by his side, every one stood up. And this moment of homage was very agreeable to Arthur. He liked to feel his own importance, and besides that, he cared a great deal for the good will of these people. He was fond of thinking that they had a hearty, special regard for him. The pleasure he felt was in his face, as he said, "My grandfather and I hope all our friends here have enjoyed their dinner and find my birthday ale good." Mr. Irwine and I are come to taste it with you, and I am sure we shall all like anything the better that the rector shares with us. All eyes were now turned on Mr. Poyser, who, with his hands still busy in his pockets, began with the deliberateness of a slow striking clock. Captain, my neighbours have put it upon me to speak for him today, for where folks think pretty much alike, one spokesman's as good as a score. And though we've mayhappen got contrary ways of thinking about a many things, one man lays down his land one way, and another another, and I'll not take it upon me to speak to no man's farming but my own. This I'll say, as we're all a one mind about our young squire, we've pretty nigh all on us known you when you were a little un, and we've never known anything on you but what was good and honourable. You speak fair. And you act fair, and we're joyful when we look forward to your being our landlord, for we believe you mean to do right by everybody, and'll make no man's bread bitter to him if you can help it. That's what I mean, and that's what we all mean. And when a man said what he means, he'd better stop, for the ale'll be none the better for Stannin. And I'll not say how we like the ale yet, for we couldn't a well taste it till we'd drunk your health in it. But the dinner was good, and if there's anybody hasna enjoyed it, it must be the fault of his own inside. And as for the rector's company, it's well known as that's welcome to all the parish wherever he may be, and I hope, and we all hope, as he'll live to see us old folks and our children grown to men and women, and your honour a family man. I've no more to say as concerns the present time, and so we'll drink our young squire's health three times three. Hereupon, a glorious shouting, a rapping, a jingling, a clattering, and a shouting, with plentiful de capo, pleasanter than a strain of sublimest music in the ears that receive such a tribute for the first time. Arthur had felt a twinge of conscience during Mr. Poyser's speech, but it was too feeble to nullify the pleasure he felt in being praised. Did he not deserve what was said of him on the whole? If there was something in his conduct that Poyser wouldn't have liked if he had known it, why, no man's conduct will bear too close an inspection, and Poyser was not likely to know it. And after all, what had he done? Gone a little too far, perhaps, in flirtation. But another man in his place would have acted much worse, and no harm would come. No harm should come, for 
The next time he was alone with Hetty, he would explain to her that she must not think seriously of him or of what had passed. It was necessary to Arthur, you perceive, to be satisfied with himself. Uncomfortable thoughts must be got rid of by good intentions for the future, which can be formed so rapidly that he had time to be uncomfortable and to become easy again before Mr. Poyser's slow speech was finished. And when it was time for him to speak, he was quite light-hearted. "'I thank you all, my good friends and neighbours,' Arthur said, "'for the good opinion of me, and the kind feelings towards me "'which Mr. Poyser has been expressing on your behalf and on his own. "'And it will always be my heartiest wish to deserve them. "'In the course of things we may expect that, if I live, "'I shall one day or other be your landlord. "'Indeed, it is on the ground of that expectation "'that my grandfather has wished me to celebrate this day "'and to come among you now.' and i look forward to this position not merely as one of power and pleasure for myself but as a means of benefiting my neighbours it hardly becomes so young a man as i am to talk much about farming to you who are most of you so much older and are men of experience still i have interested myself a good deal in such matters and learned as much about them as my opportunities have allowed and when the course of events shall place the estate in my hands it will be my first desire to afford my tenants all the encouragement a landlord can give them in improving their land and trying to bring about a better practice of husbandry it will be my wish to be looked on by all my deserving tenants as their best friend and nothing would make me so happy as to be able to respect every man on the estate and to be respected by him in turn it is not my place at present to enter into particulars i only meet your good hopes concerning me by telling you that my own hopes correspond to them that what you expect from me i desire to fulfil and i am quite of mr poyser's opinion that when a man has said what he means he had better stop but the pleasure i feel in having my own health drunk by you would not be perfect if we did not drink the health of my grandfather who has filled the place of both parents to me i will say no more until you have joined me in drinking his health on a day when he has wished me to appear among you as the future representative of his name and family perhaps there was no one present except mr irwine who thoroughly understood and approved arthur's graceful mode of proposing his grandfather's health the farmers thought the young squire knew well enough that they hated the old squire and mrs poyser said he'd better not have stirred a kettle of sour broth the bucolic mind does not readily apprehend the refinements of good taste, but the toast could not be rejected, and when it had been drunk, Arthur said, I thank you, both for my grandfather and myself, and now there is one more thing I wish to tell you, that you may share my pleasure about it, as I hope and believe you will. I think there can be no man here who is not a respect, and some of you, I am sure, have a very high regard for my friend Adam Bede it is well known to every one in this neighbourhood that there is no man whose word can be more depended on than his that whatever he undertakes to do he does well and is as careful for the interests of those who employ him as for his own i am proud to say that i was very fond of adam when i was a little boy and i have never lost my old feeling for him i think that shows that i know a good fellow when i find him it has long been my wish that he should have the management of the woods on the estate which happened to be very valuable not only because I think so highly of his character, but because he has the knowledge and the skill which fit him for the place. And I am happy to tell you that it is my grandfather's wish, too, and it is now settled that Adam shall manage the woods, a change which I am sure will be very much for the advantage of the estate, and I hope you will by and by join me in drinking his health and in wishing him all the prosperity in life that he deserves. 
But there is a still older friend of mine than Adam Bede present, and I need not tell you that it is Mr. Irwine. I am sure you will agree with me that we must drink to no other person's health until we have drunk his. I know you have all reason to love him, but no one of his parishioners has so much reason as I. Come, charge your glasses, and let us drink to our excellent rector three times three. This toast was drunk with all the enthusiasm that was wanting to the last, and it certainly was the most picturesque moment in the scene when Mr. Irwine got up to speak, and all the faces in the room were turned towards him. The superior refinement of his face was much more striking than that of Arthur's when seen in comparison with the people round them. Arthur's was a much commoner British face, and the splendour of his new-fashioned clothes was more akin to the young farmer's taste in costume than Mr. Irwine's powder and the well-brushed but well-worn black which seemed to be his chosen suit for great occasions, for he had the mysterious secret of never wearing a new-looking coat. "'This is not the first time, by a great many,' he said, "'that I have had to thank my parishioners for giving me tokens of their good will.' But neighbourly kindness is among those things that are the more precious the older they get. Indeed, our pleasant meeting to-day is a proof that, when what is good comes of age and is likely to live, there is reason for rejoicing. And the relation between us and as clergymen and parishioners came of age two years ago, for it is three-and-twenty years since I first came among you, and I see some tall, fine-looking young men here, as well as some blooming young women, that were far from looking as pleasantly at me when I christened them, as I am happy to see them looking now. But I am sure you will not wonder when I say that among all those young men the one in whom I have the strongest interest is my friend Mr. Arthur Donathorne, for whom you have just expressed your regard. I had the pleasure of being his tutor for several years, and have naturally had opportunities of knowing him intimately, which cannot have occurred to any one else who is present, and I have some pride as well as pleasure in assuring you that I share your high hopes concerning him, and your confidence in his possession of those qualities which will make him an excellent landlord when the time shall come for him to take that important position among you. We feel alike on most matters on which a man who's getting towards fifty can feel in common with a man of one and twenty, and he has just been expressing a feeling which I share very heartily, and I would not willingly omit the opportunity of saying so. That feeling is his value and respect for Adam Bede. People in a high station are, of course, more thought of and talked about, and have their virtues more praised than those whose lives are passed in humble everyday work. But every sensible man knows how necessary that humble everyday work is, and how important it is to us that it should be done well. And I agree with my friend, Mr. Arthur Donathorne, in feeling that when a man whose duty lies in that sort of work shows a character which would make him an example in any station, his merit should be acknowledged." he is one of those to whom honour is due and his friends should delight to honour him i know adam bede well i know what he is as a workman and what he has been as a son and brother and i am saying the simplest truth when i say that i respect him as much as i respect any man living but i am not speaking to you about a stranger some of you are his intimate friends and i believe there is not one here who does not know enough of him to join heartily in drinking his health as Mr. Irwine paused, Arthur jumped up, and filling his glass, said, A bumper to Adam Bede, and may he live to have sons as faithful and clever as himself. No hearer, not even Bartle Massey, was so delighted with this toast as Mr. Poyser. 
tough work as his first speech had been. He would have started up to make another if he had not known the extreme irregularity of such a course. As it was, he found an outlet for his feeling in drinking his ale unusually fast and setting down his glass with a swing of his arm and a determined rap. If Jonathan Burge and a few others felt less comfortable on the occasion, they tried their best to look contented, and so the toast was drunk with a good will apparently unanimous. Adam was rather paler than usual when he got up to thank his friends. He was a good deal moved by this public tribute, very naturally, for he was in the presence of all his little world, and it was uniting to do him honour. But he felt no shyness about speaking, not being troubled with small vanity or lack of words. He looked neither awkward nor embarrassed, but stood in his usual firm, upright attitude, with his head thrown a little backward and his hands perfectly still, in that rough dignity which is peculiar to intelligent, honest, well-built workmen, who are never wondering what is their business in the world. "'I'm quite taken by surprise,' he said. "'I didn't expect anything of this sort, for it's a good deal more than my wages.' "'But I have the more reason to be grateful to you, Captain, and to you, Mr. Irwine, and to all my friends here, who have drunk my health and wished me well. It'd be nonsense for me to be saying I don't at all deserve the opinion you have of me. That'd be poor thanks to you, to say that you've known me all these years, and yet haven't sense enough to find out a great deal of the truth about me. You think, if I undertake to do a bit of work, I'll do it well, be my pay big or little, and that's true.' I'd be ashamed to stand before you here if it wasn't true. But it seems to me that's a man's plain duty, and nothing to be conceited about, and it's pretty clear to me as I've never done more than my duty. For let us do what we will, it's only making use of the spirit and the powers that have been given to us. And so this kindness of yours, I'm sure, is no debt you owe me, but a free gift, and as such I accept it, and am grateful." And as to this new employment I've taken in hand, I'll only say that I took it at Captain Donathorne's desire, and that I'll try to fulfil his expectations. I'd wish for no better lot than to work under him, and to know that while I was getting my own bread I was taking care of his interests. For I believe he's one of those gentlemen as wishes to do the right thing, and to leave the world a bit better than he found it, which it's my belief every man may do, whether he's simple or gentle, whether he sets a good bit of work going and finds the money, or whether he does the work with his own hands. There's no occasion for me to say any more about what I feel towards him. I hope to show it through the rest of my life in my actions. There were various opinions about Adam's speech. Some of the women whispered that he didn't show himself thankful enough and seemed to speak as proud as could be. But most of the men were of the opinion that nobody could speak more straightforward, and that Adam was as fine a chap as need be. While such observations were being buzzed about, mingled with wonderings as to what the old squire meant to do for a bailiff, and whether he was going to have a steward, the two gentlemen had risen, and were walking round to the table where the wives and children sat. There was none of the strong ale here, of course, but wine and dessert, sparkling gooseberry for the young ones, and some good sherry for the mothers. Mrs. Poyser was at the head of this table, and Tottie was now seated in her lap, bending her small nose deep down into a wine-glass in search of the nuts floating there. "'How do you do, Mrs. Poyser?' said Arthur. "'Weren't you pleased to hear your husband make such a good speech to-day?' "'Oh, sir, the men are mostly so tongue-tied. "'You're forced partly to guess what they mean, "'as you do with the dumb creatures.' "'What, you think you could have made it better for him?' "'said Mr. Irwine, laughing. "'Well, sir, when I want to say anything, "'I can mostly find words to say it in, thank God. 
not as I'm a finding fault with my husband, for if he's a man of few words, what he says he'll stand to. I'm sure I never saw a prettier party than this, Arthur said, looking round at the apple-cheeked children. My aunt and the Miss Irwines will come up and see you presently. They were afraid of the noise of the toasts, but it would be a shame for them not to see you at table. He walked on, speaking to the mothers and patting the children, while Mr. Irwine satisfied himself with standing still and nodding at a distance, that no one's attention might be disturbed from the young squire, the hero of the day. Arthur did not venture to stop near Hetty, but merely bowed to her as he passed along the opposite side. The foolish child felt her heart swelling with discontent, for what woman was ever satisfied with apparent neglect, even when she knows it to be the mask of love? Hetty thought this was going to be the most miserable day she had had for a long while. A moment of chill daylight and reality came across her dream. Arthur, who had seemed so near to her only a few hours before, was separated from her, as the hero of a great procession is separated from a small outsider in a crowd. End of chapter 24